0: Most Georgians are wonderful. And today we found our proof. Standing for you, standing for the rule of law and election integrity and standing for the truth and not buckling under the pressure is what people want. I was elected to serve
1: the people and so I shall and so I have. That was Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger Tuesday night speaking to a small group of supporters explaining how he pulled off his surprise victory for re-election over a Donald Trump-backed opponent. It was a truly extraordinary comeback for Raffensperger. Barely a year ago, his chances were viewed as hopeless. After refusing Trump's entreaties to find just enough votes to flip Georgia's electoral tally, Raffensperger was denounced by the ex-president as an enemy of the people. He got death threats from Trump supporters. But Raffensperger stood his ground and, as he put it, refused to buckle under the pressure, even while at the same time he quietly and methodically courted conservative voters with talk about protecting election integrity in the future. The result, combined with Brian Kemp's landslide victory in the governor's race, was a stinging rebuke to Trump. What does all this say about Trump's standing in the Republican Party and how to assess the high-stakes battles in the general election, not just in Raffensperger's race, but in the big contest for Governor Kemp versus Stacey Abrams and the U.S. Senate Raphael Warnock against Herschel Walker? We'll talk to two savvy Georgia political consultants, Republican strategist Brian Robinson and Democratic operative Chris Hutman, on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me me
2: God. So help me God. So help me God.
3: So help me God. So help me God.
1: I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News.
3: And I'm Dan Kleidman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News.
1: And we are doing this episode uh, from Georgia, from Atlanta itself, where, uh, Kleidman, you and I have been down for the last couple of days for what have been truly a remarkable uh, moment in in Georgia politics, uh, starting with the rally that uh, Brian Kemp had Monday night with no less than Mike Pence, the former vice president. Keynote speaking, Kemp was furiously opposed by Donald Trump. Pence had loyally been Trump's opponent until the very end to have Hence, speaking for Kemp was a pretty seismic moment, I think, in Georgia politics.
3: Yeah, I, I got down here uh, on Sunday, and in the following couple of days, talking to people down here, I started to get the sense, not really from my own reporting, but from talking to what other people were sensing, that you know something was, was maybe changing down here. Kemp was leading David Perdue at the time by about 30 points, and some people, including our friend Greg Bluestein, the uh, top political reporter- for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and really the dean of political reporters down here, was suggesting that Raffensperger might win uh, this race outright, and there was a, a sense in which maybe the sort of fever was breaking on some of this sort of MAGA election fraud sort of nightmare, and I think we saw in the results uh, some real evidence of, of that. You know, that we'll talk about uh, the Raffensperger. Jody Heiss race, but let's talk for a second about Purdue Kemp because that race really was a referendum on the Trump election lie. David Purdue was a single issue candidate in this race, and that was that the election was stolen and Bryant Kemp didn't do his duty to steal it back effectively. And what happened? Purdue lost by 50 points one of the biggest blowouts in a gubernatorial right. race that I can remember and I think that just speaks volumes
1: right but Raffensperger pulling it out i mean talk about you know a uh, a a rebuke to the election lie i mean this was the guy who was totally under the pressure from from Trump and all his allies you know he's the guy who Trump calls in that famous uh, in that famous uh, phone call in which he threatens Raffensburger with potential criminal penalties if he doesn't do what Trump wants and find the votes give me a break it's just 11,000 votes trump says so for raffensburger to come back from the politically dead i think is perhaps even a stronger example of the fever breaking now one should point out there were quite a few Democrats, or past Democratic voters who crossed over and voted for Raffensperger just to stick it to Trump. So there is that. But I still think to have a win without and, and cross that 50 percent threshold. So there isn't wasn't even a runoff was something that a lot of people until recently would have thought was inconceivable.
3: Right. And it's also important to say that, you know, the fever breaking doesn't mean that there aren't still a whole lot of Trump Republicans in this state and around the country who are still completely loyal to him and to his um, election lies. And so all you have to do is look an hour, hour and a half drive from Atlanta to uh, Marjorie Taylor. Green's district yeah, uh, to see who, who uh, won
1: big herself, uh, who, who won right? you know a yeah. huge
3: double digit win in her district. But look, it may be that, uh, and, and we'll see if this is borne out in, in polling. I think Yahoo News uh, is doing some polling on this, and maybe we'll get the results results soon. Maybe that kind of hardcore group of Republicans. Who believe that the election was stolen is actually diminishing a little bit. In fact, I've heard that I think, it, I
1: think more it, than a little bit. Yeah, I think and it's diminishing. It's
3: it's it's diminished. And 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 even if it diminishes, you know, by ten fifteen percentage points, you know, that's a huge difference in places where elections are closely fought. Right, Georgia chief among them, which is a very evenly divided state in terms of Democrats and Republicans.
1: There's a lot of ways this could go at this point, but I I think that the Kemp Stacey Abrams race is going to be mega bucks are going to be pouring in to that one uh, from all sides. Uh, That's a marquee race. Stacey Abrams stumbled a bit over the weekend with this uh, comment about Georgia being the worst state you could live in. I don't think any candidate to be a governor wants to uh, say about the state she wants to lead. But I also, you know, picked up some bright spots potentially for her. Um, We're going to talk about this, but I was at Raffensperger's headquarters last night talking to some longtime Republicans, both of whom said they may end up voting for Stacey Abrams. Why? Because the Supreme Court is about to overturn Roe versus Wade. And um, that was a make or break issue. The the wife was particularly adamant uh, of that, uh, of the couple. So I think that's, that's something it this is a nearly 50 50 state at this point. So it doesn't take much that plus the prospect that hardcore MAGA people may sit on their hands and not vote in the general. And so that's, Something that
3: yeah, we'll have to see what you know, whether Trump weighs in and uh, decides uh, not to endorse. Brian Kemp. Oh, he's not um, going to endorse. In, 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 There's in, no in the way.
1: General. There's no way he's going well, to right. endorse Kemp. Well, right, and the question
3: Kemp. is, if he does, he doesn't endorse him, but uh, does he continue to attack him, which will depress Republican voters in Georgia and 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 MAGA voters uh, down here on abortion? Stacey Abrams definitely gets it. You may recall uh, that when that draft decision was leaked, her campaign essentially. Suspended their regular campaign so she could just focus on that one issue. She understands. That this is a a real opportunity. I don't want to be completely cynical about this simply being a political opportunity. Obviously, she and uh, her supporters, and you know, tens of millions of people around the country, uh, more than that, really believe very passionately about this about this issue, and that that we are at a a huge kind of turning point for women and and the country on this on this very important issue. But they also understand that in an extremely tough political environment when they're looking for anything that can give them an advantage against Republicans and against, in this particular case now, Brian Kemp, that they're going to have to seize that opportunity. And they will. And I think she is a master organizer, You know, she registered huge numbers of of voters who were not part of the process before, which, um, you know, made a big difference in 2018 and then was decisive, many people think, in 2020. And she will be able to use this issue to organize around her own. Political ambition to be governor, and we'll see how important it ends up being. It will—I I – don't know that it'll be decisive, but uh, she's got a lot of she's got other advantages too.
1: Uh, yeah, it doesn't take much uh, in a uh, in a closely divided state. And that
3: right, exactly. And that and that's the thing to remember about Georgia. Look, G- Georgia is continuing to trend blue. I mean, just in terms of the demographics, the numbers, the uh, the suburbs around Atlanta doesn't mean that it's all going to happen quickly and that's going to give her the election in 2022. But that is the trajectory going forward. So she's got demographic advantages on her side as well.
1: All right. Well, we got two cool uh, guests to talk about all this and dissect the primary results. Brian Robinson, uh, Republican strategist, uh, Chris Hutman on the Democratic side. So let's get to it. We now have with us two savvy Georgia political strategists, Brian Robinson, a uh, longtime Republican consultant, and Chris Hutman, a Democratic strategist. Brian and Chris, welcome to Skullduggery.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
1: Quite a primary night in Georgia, Tuesday night, Brian Kemp. As expected, won a resounding victory, I think even bigger than a lot of people were thinking and the polls were showing. But the real surprise, Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state, mortal foe of Donald Trump, the guy who refused his entreaties to find enough votes to flip the Georgia electoral count wins in a big surprise. Uh, Brian and Chris, give me your reactions.
0: Well, I think we had several things happening there with with Raffensperger. Let me tell you a stat I just saw. This is fascinating. Of course, we are full of fascinating stats here today that we all have to go through. But in the 14th Congressional District, which is known nationwide because it is represented by the famous Marjorie Taylor Greene, she cruised to renomination by a 53-point margin in that same district. Raffensperger won by 20 points on the same ballot. That is absolutely extraordinary. In the deepest red pockets of this state, Brad Raffensperger won pluralities. The map of the state in that race is all Brad Raffensperger, except for Jody Heiss, his opponent's congressional district. Brad won everywhere. And he got there with a coalition that is impossible. It doesn't exist, what he managed to put together. It was Republicans who agreed with him, people in our party who think he stood in the breach for democracy, who think he's a man of integrity, and who heard him out. And then there were some independents who showed up just to give the finger to Trump, perhaps, maybe just because they wanted to be supportive of Brad. And then we had tens of thousands of voters who voted in the Democratic primary in 2020 and then picked up a Republican ballot in 2022, which you can do in Georgia, and that was made possible by the fact that Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock, the top of the of the ticket for the Democrats, didn't have opposition. So the, the Democrats were free agents, and they were able to come in in a way I've never seen happen in Georgia. I've never seen this happen other than when the Mississippi Democrats did this with Thad Cochran some years ago. Remember that when they all came in that runoff and
1: and got him renominated. So the question here is: if Democrats or independents voting Republican to stick it to Trump, voting for Raffensperger. What does that tell us about how big of a rebuke to Donald Trump this was? Chris, you want to take a crack at that?
2: Well, it's certainly a big rebuke. I think a little context is is important too. I mean, Jody Heiss spent some early money back in February or March and has been completely absent from the airwaves for the last two months. So, you know, I'm not, you know, Trump maybe didn't back the best horse that he could have backed. I mean, Uh, I don't know if Brian would completely agree with this, but at least on the democratic side, Jody Heiss is kind of viewed as one of these unserious congressmen that kind of won a 10 person primary and happened to be there and could stay there as long as he wanted. But he always kind of wondered if he tried to jump to a different race, if it would work. And I think we got one clue that that's probably probably wouldn't work. But then I think, you know, I'm looking at the map for Brad Raffensperger and as far as I can tell his best County, by a long shot, DeKalb County, which is basically the most Democratic county in Georgia, you got 69 percent, 69 percent. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that's like I live in DeKalb County and I was looking at the election day, you know, turnout and, you know, we have precincts in the northern part of the county, which is, you know, used to be Republican and has turned pretty Democratic lately where, you know, Democrats have been getting 60, 65 percent of the vote in general elections. And Republican primary ballots outnumbered Democratic primary ballots three to one. Yeah. So, you know, I honestly, I personally was telling people, you know, don't waste your vote; it's not going to be enough. You know, vote in the Democratic primary instead. But he he cleared the runoff threshold by about twenty seven thousand votes, and I think it's pretty clear that there were probably forty or fifty thousand Democrats in there that put him over the over the top. And to to tell to to go back a little bit of Georgia history, spe- specifically to Cab County. Um, we had a very controversial congresswoman on our own side named Cynthia McKinney back in the day that Republicans <laughs> did cross over and beat in two different yeah. primaries. So yeah. there is a history of of crossover voting in Georgia, and it's usually altruistic. It's usually not sinister. Like you wouldn't get Democrats crossing over to vote for Jody Heist to try to ruin the general election. They usually are voting for the candidate they think is is better. Absolutely. It was not sabotage by right. any means. In fact, I would argue that Democrats switched over to
0: vote for the strongest Republican candidates in the general election. The secretary of state's race on the Democrat side features you know, two candidates who are now fighting it out for a month to get a nomination that's not worth much. In my opinion, I think Raffensperger
2: is an extraordinarily strong candidate in the general. I think that's um, it's, it's definitely uh, going to take some creativity on the Democratic side. They would they would have much rather run against Heiss yep. you know, from from a purely partisan standpoint. But the fact that so many were willing to kind of kneecap themselves on the general election matchup to get the guy that they thought would be you know better for the state, you know, speaks speaks highly of, of some of these Democratic crossover voters, I think. What kind of a race did
3: Rauschenberger actually run himself? Because, you know, my sense is when it started, you know, the conventional wisdom was he didn't have a shot. Yeah. There was no way in the world that he was going to certainly not win outright and probably wouldn't even make it to a primary. And, and you know, he had a, a, a kind of a fine line to walk in defending what he did during the election, but continuing to appeal to Republican voters and conservative voters. And I, I got the sense that he was fairly skillful in doing that. There was uh, one example I heard was he talked a lot about the issue of uh, non-citizens voting, in Georgia, which and sort of railed about that. Well, non citizens can't vote in Georgia, right? But it worked for him, right? So how did he run this thing? Brian? I
0: have been impressed by his discipline. You know, in 2021, there were many people applauding Brad Raffensperger. The problem was they weren't people who vote in the Republican primary. And he didn't fall for the trap of dancing to the beat of the left's applause. He continued, as you said, to message to conservatives. SB202, our new election law, gave him a issue where he could post up on Democrats. And then Biden came in and sued us over it so he could post up on Biden, whose numbers here are atrocious, and and fight against a national narrative that people in Georgia don't believe that our law is racist and it's intended to suppress votes. People here think that's silly, as evidenced by the record turnout that we saw yesterday. He continued to talk to Republicans, even though 50% of them were very hostile to him. And he would go on MSNBC. He would go on Fox News. He would go on Newsmax. He took every invitation and went and told his story. And sometimes it didn't go well, but he got it the next day and did it again. He always communicated I'll tell you, I, you know, I, his office is a client of mine, uh, and one thing I said to them privately last year was like, "Look, guys, y'all got to make a decision. If we're going to win this, we got we got to go talk to Republicans, be hardcore conservatives, remind them that Brad's a hardcore conservative. Otherwise, let's just like skate out, Brad, and get some really high paying board board appointments, and uh, you know, get get a slot at the Kennedy School, collect his profile, encourage, right, <laughs> do all those things. And they
2: chose to go fight, and by God. They pulled it off. I mean, he filled the void. You know, he, he also filled the void, which to his credit, you know, he, he had a lot of money on the air. He had a super PAC that was also supporting him. They took some shots at Jody Heiss, you know, in the ad and, and there was kind of no response. So, I mean, like in an alternate reality where Jody Heiss is a more serious candidate, or I think you see a much different race, but he took advantage of the landscape that he had, which was kind of an invisible candidate. And Willing to kind of go there on where where he needed to go and, you know, rolling the dice that the 40 or 50,000 Democrats that showed up would kind of ignore, you know, voter ID or whatever he's talking about in, in the ad to get the Republicans that he needed.
1: All right. So no question he is uh, going to be formidable uh, candidate in the general and maybe the strongest Republican candidate statewide because. And, Brian, this is a question for you in the now big race, the marquee race, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Kemp versus Stacey Abrams. The real question is, you know, with Trump suffering these dual defeats, his candidates getting clobbered, you know, Kemp clobbers, Purdue uh, Raffensburger beats Heiss. Are hardcore MAGA voters going to stay home on election night and allowing Stacey Abrams to beat Brian Kemp? That's got to be something that's going to worry Republicans. And one quick
3: follow up to that, which plays right into it, is what is Donald Trump going to do? Is Trump going to (laughs) endorse Kemp or is he going to stay neutral?
1: Or Or endorse endorse Stacey Abrams. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Great question. I think the, I think the question of the hour, right? And you, you've hit on it. the The Trump factor is, is a wild card. As a Georgia Republican, I want there to be a détente, a coming together. I think that's best for Trump and his future in the state. And I think it's best for Kemp. And I think it's best for Georgia. And I know Chris Hutman here uh, would love for uh, Trump to come in and and drop a bomb on Brian Kemp. Uh, that would be great for the Democrats. Look. I think what we saw at the top of the ticket last night wasn't the divided Republican Party that had become the narrative, a narrative that, frankly, even I believed. What we saw was a united Republican Party. There's no way you get to 73 percent without a ton of hardcore MAGA voters coming your way to vote for you. Brian Kemp outperformed Herschel Walker who's literally an image on this cup that I'm drinking out of right now. I mean, this guy is, he's iconic in the state of Georgia. Kemp outperformed him, as, as did Chris Carr, so, our, our Attorney General. So I do think we're united. And look, what concerns me, though, is two, 300,000 that stayed home during the runoffs and sent Warnock and Ossoff to the U.S. Senate. That's all it would take to make Stacey. Abrams competitive. Now, she's going to need some help because the environment for Dems is so atrocious, and she's going to need MAGA voters to stay home. It won't be more than two or 300, but that would make this really dangerous. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think the party's moving forward. I really, really do. That's not spent.
1: All right, Brian, I'm going to give you a, uh, a another perspective on this that I picked up. I was at the Raffensburger. Victory party last night in which he had a small number of friends uh, long time most of them longtime Republicans And I was talking to a Republican couple a guy who's run statewide in the past and Was a loyal supporter of Raffensperger and Republicans Both he and his wife told me they're gonna vote for Stacey Abrams. Why? The abortion decision the wife mm-hmm. said that's a deal breaker for me And then her husband said, yeah, it gives him pause too. So it doesn't take much to peel away Republican votes and something like the uh, upcoming abortion decision has got to spook your side. And then Chris, I want to get your perspective on that.
0: There's going to be some of that on the margins. I do do think it's on the margins. I think the pro-choice, pro-life thing is largely baked into the numbers at this juncture. When we passed the heartbeat bill, the Dems said we're going to, take your seats if you take away our rights. Well, we had an election that didn't happen. It did not have the
2: effect that Democrats thought that it would here. And I would argue on the counter. How to, many other states did uh, Democrats pick up seats in the legislature? Okay, Zero. Fair. Yeah, fair. That's great.
0: I think that Democrats have a really hard time despite that, that abortion issue because the number one issues are inflation and crime around here. And those are those are toxic for them. And right now, inflation, gas prices, and crime are more important than than the abortion issue when you're going in there and you have a choice. It's a choice,
2: not a referendum on abortion. You know, I would kind of agree with that to some degree. The abortion issue, Georgia is kind of in this unique position, you know, from a national standpoint, because everything that's kind of going against the Democrats in a place like Iowa is working in our favor here. So if you go back to Barack Obama's, you know, 2008 election, Georgia, you know, is a 30% black state that he lost by five points. Iowa is a 0.3% black state that he won by 10 points, right? And fast forward 12 years and, you know, Joe Biden's losing Iowa by 10 points and Joe Biden's winning Georgia. So we, we've got this big cache of kind of culturally Republican voters that are not very conservative and we're certainly a lot more Republican than they were conservative in the metro Atlanta area that have been coming our way and the environment that's existing this year where it just looks like it's kind of going to be a red wave naturally would seem to they would seem to be the kind of voter that would go back but i think i do think the abortion stuff is a potential way to kind of draw them back in or keep them on our side uh and so on the one hand what are the 50,000 you know crossover voters that voted for Raffensburger do in a general election if it is you know if it is about abortion i mean i think that um I think the Roe v. Wade status quo has actually been kind of good for Republicans. It lets them kind of play around on this issue. And then a court just throws it out and says, ah, see, we're just focusing on, you know, jobs now instead. And and that does kind of shake things up. And a Republican friend of mine once told me that um, whoever's causing friction is losing. And, you know, that ruling definitely has the potential to introduce some friction, you know, and it's a little bit of a put up or shut up moment for people like Kemp who've kind of been able to play both sides so far. So, you know, are there a lot of people like that? I'm not sure. Does it help, you know, with some of the new voters that we've gotten over the last, you know, four to six years, maybe keep some of them in the fold that might have a kind of a a reflex to go back to voting for Republicans, at least in a a year where they want to send Biden a message. I think that those are two conflicting, you know, trends running headlong and headstrong in each other. So we'll see. So, Chris,
3: let me ask you about what I think some people think is a potential vulnerability on the Democratic side in the gubernatorial race. Stacey Abrams is clearly a huge force and a talented uh, politician and a rock star nationally, but she does occasionally stumble. And she did just a few days ago when she said to a group of Democratic activists, "Uh, I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business. When we are the worst state in the country to live, and Republicans in Georgia pounced all over that. We heard Kemp bring it up over and over again. We saw Pence bring it up at the Kemp Pence rally the other day. She's uh, cleaned it up. Maybe it was unfair. Maybe it was taken out of context. But how much of a concern is that for Democrats uh, going forward with Stacey?
2: You know, I think she will definitely have to be a little more artful about you know what she says. I think a lot of people that are that are outside of Georgia maybe don't have an appreciation for in the 2018 race. The, the closing of the 2018 race heavily featured in, in television ads two similar statements that she had made back then that the Republicans really pounced on in a blue wave year to kind of keep themselves, you know, in the race. And so I think that that's just uh, part of the package is that you're, you're, getting, you're getting the brilliance and then you're getting, you know, the some of the stuff, some of the other stuff too. So, is that one statement gonna change the course of of the race? Like, I don't think so. But I do think that, like, in a year that looks, you know, not so great, that you can't really, you know, you, you do have to be cognizant of not really making, you know, any mistakes. And we got lucky in 2020. We got to run against David Perdue, who nobody likes. I think that last night really proved that and Kelly Loeffler, who nobody likes, and Donald Trump, who a lot of people don't like. And, you know, Brian Kemp is a more likable opponent. My kind of analysis of the Republican primary going back to November, December, was never based on the polls. I was just like, people like Brian Kemp and people do not like David Perdue. The only election David Perdue won in his entire life was the one in the worst, (laughs) the best Republican year in a century, Where even though they didn't like David Perdue, by the time they got to the ballot box, they wanted to send a message to Obama. And that was a bigger, a bigger thing. And ever since then, when it's been more about him and less about the environment, he's never been able to win a race. And I think last night really, you know, hammers that home. So we have to be, we have to be really cognizant about that with, with Kemp and to some extent to Raffensperger. These guys have a little bit of a brand that's non-political or kind of extra political. And, uh, you know, we have to really be careful about, you know, everything that we say and do and where we go.
1: Brian, give, give us your take on uh, Abrams' vulnerabilities. <laughs> well, gosh, let
0: me first say thank you to Chris Huttman for the non-spin answer. I mean, that I really do, I do appreciate the honesty that, he, that you heard there. I think that what you saw from Stacey Abrams, on that quote shows that even as smart as she is, as hardworking as she is, she sometimes lacks discipline. And we saw this at the end of the campaign in 2018, when she talked about illegals should be able to vote or something that sounded like that. And that something that denigrated those who have to work in agriculture and hospitality, two of our biggest industries here in the state. Those things really hurt her. I really honestly think she was on path to win in 2018. The polling always had her up. And then she said those things and all those independents that Democrats have been getting in recent years were like, well, maybe she's not as acceptable of an alternative as I thought she was. And what she said about Georgia was reckless rhetoric. And it's not just reckless because I think it's wrong. No one believes that we're the worst state to live in. Her base doesn't believe that. She keeps bragging about registering these hundreds of thousands of new Democrat voters. Actually, little secret, it was Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensberger who registered all of those people with uh, Motor Voter, et cetera. But she has these people coming in, these Democrats moving in. They're not coming here to protest. They're not coming here to minister to us poor souls. They're coming for opportunity and quality of life. And everybody knows that. And so it was just. It hurts your credibility in a much bigger macro levels perspective.
1: Obviously, we've been talking about the Kemp Abrams matchup, but there's going to be a lot of attention nationally, even more, perhaps, on the Senate race in which you have uh, Raphael Warnock on the D side running for reelection against your new candidate, Brian Herschel Walker. I don't know. I I get his iconic status as a football star, but you listen to the guy and he seems completely ignorant of public policy and even just basic news coverage. There was a clip the other day of him being asked about Trump's claims about election fraud and a stolen election. And Herschel Walker says, "I, I never heard him say that. Yeah. I mean, like what planet is he living on?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I do think it's interesting and perhaps telling that despite the iconic status, despite the fact he was the Trump endorsed candidate, despite the fact that he didn't take on high profile opponents the way that Kemp did, he got a smaller percentage than Kemp in, in this election. So, you know, it's just three points, but. Those three points for people going, "Eh, you know, I have some questions. I have some questions. And I I do think that's something that Herschel is going to have to answer. I do think he is going to have to do a series of public events where he's taking questions and he gets through it and looks competent and looks knowledgeable and looks comfortable. On that latter bit, the comfortable, he did a uh, sit down for 25 minutes with Fox 5 uh, two weeks ago. and, And it's not soaring oratory. It's not somebody that you think, oh, man, this guy, he really he really has some great ideas, but he looked comfortable in his own skin. He looked confident. And we saw that last night on the stage when he was reading from a teleprompter, which I think is the direction they need to go they need to keep him on script. I think that's smart. And I think over time he will begin to ingest or digest those words and make them his own but it's going to be a learning process i mean this you know Herschel walker never voted until 2020 he's not somebody who took a lot of interest in
3: politics can he get away without formal debates without debating warnock
0: i think he needs to do one i wouldn't feel the need to do more than that warnock didn't want to do more than one uh during the runoff last year so he can use that to sort of you know push off on the need for more But basically, he's got to be able to answer three or four questions, one question from Warnock, and then ask Warnock one question. That's the bar he needs to get across. And I'm just i still not a huge believer. I love Chris's.
2: uh, I mean,
0: uh, I don't know. Come come on, on, this guy is
1: running for the United States Senate, for Christ's sake. If Herschel
2: Walker hadn't (laughs) had the money to run TV ads in the primary, I think Raphael Warnock would have done it for him. Let's put it that way. He is uh, the best chance I think that Democrats have in the entire country of holding a seat in a tough environment because of, I guess, Arizona might be on the brink of nominating an insane person to their Senate in their Senate primary. But, uh, you know, notwithstanding that, you know, I think he's the best chance. And I think Democrats have to be careful about how they approach him. You know, if Democrats spend their time, you know, trying to play some gotcha question with Herschel Walker about, should boys be in girls, you know, swimming or whatever, then Herschel look, looks like a common sense guy that people don't understand why. So, I, and you know, the, the tendency, at least for national Democrats, is going to be to focus on, you know, some of that stuff. And I think the the real, you know, things to mind are just that he's he's risky and he's got like a history of, you know, spousal abuse. That's pretty pretty beyond the pale. And there's something in, I think his biography about, you know, Zimbabwean faith healing and stuff like that. And we've got a Christian pastor on our side. So I I feel pretty good about Warnock's chances with Herschel. I certainly, you know, if had they had they gone with, you know, Gary Black, who is a pretty boring, you know, Republican level replacement candidate or, you know, a younger person who's on the air, like a like a Latham Sadler, who seems a little bit more energetic. I think we'd be in for a much tougher race. But look, the environment's bad and Warnock's going to have to run, a really good race. And, you know, Herschel's going to have to make some missteps. And, you know, I think he will. And they're certainly, you know, mostly afraid to put him out there. And Herschel's campaign's actually in the basement of the building that I work in. And we've seen Herschel at the office one time in six months. So I don't know whether they're keeping him in Texas somewhere. He ain't here. <laughs> so, well, I- so Brian, uh, one thing we haven't
3: really talked about yet is how Kemp. One, yeah, you know, he was the number one target of the Trump revenge campaign, and Trump really, actually, did work to defeat him. I mean, he put his money where his mouth is—two point six million dollars. He campaigned here, he raised money, he, you know, did all sorts of things for him, uh, and yet Kemp wins by fifty points. So, how did he do it? You and I talked about this a little bit for the Yahoo News story that Isakoff and I did, and I thought you had some really interesting points. It, just tell us how he did it, and is this a playbook uh, for other uh, Republican candidates who are targeted by Trump going forward? It's a playbook
0: for Republican incumbents who have more than $10 million in the bank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and tremendous levers of power at their fingertips, you know? I mean, he did several things that were utterly brilliant. And there's you a get headline. To run against David Perdue. Well, that didn't hurt. That's absolutely <laughs> true.
3: Well you also had one delicious delicious detail about something he managed to do that affected people's bank accounts including you, yours yes. uh, as the day that early voting began so just talk about a little bit about some of the things that he did do
0: well, I'm a little disappointed, Dan, that you're bringing up what I told you about, about that because I made it clear I did not want my wife to know that I had gotten <laughs> Sorry.
3: her hopefully refund she doesn't listen as well to, as mine. Hopefully, <laughs> she doesn't listen to <laughs> Skullduggery. Skullduggery Skullduggery <laughs> <fan. Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, on that one thing, Dan, they, a couple of weeks ago, we all in Georgia got $250 or $500 deposited in our bank accounts, depending on whether you're single or married. I got the 500. And so basically you're getting a $500 check from Brian Kemp going into the primary. We also have a $1 billion tax cut that will be taking effect July the 1st, but that's just the beginning. Here's what he did. And there's a headline in Politico this morning. That's that's quotes his, one of his top advisors speaking to donors last year saying that we're going to go effing scorched earth. And that's not what they did. It's a misleading headline. And that, that consultant Either didn't get his way, or they changed course. They didn't go scorched earth. What they did was relentlessly speak to the conservative base in Georgia and never waver on the election issue. He never attacked Donald Trump. He never punched back. He never attacked his character and didn't fight him on the narrative. He let Trump say whatever he wanted to say, and he stuck to his. I did what I could do. I followed the law. I don't constitutionally have the power to do what they're asking me to do. And then he would move on and he, he never, ever changed his tune. And I'm sure it had to be tempting to sometimes just like slap back, never did it. This session, he was able to, as I said to you, stroke the erogenous zones of every part of the Republican coalition in, in Georgia. It cut taxes, two massive economic development projects with 16,000 jobs from Rivian's truck plant and hyundai coming into southeast georgia he was able to ban crt uh keep uh, transgender girls out of girls sports in georgia high schools he's got the heartbeat bill on, on the abortion issue he constitutional carry. constitutional yep. carry which expands gun rights allows you to carry without a permit i mean if you are a republican whatever your issue is he somehow got to it on economy on education on social issues. So no one was open to the argument from David Perdue that Brian Kemp was a rhino, that he was a squish, that he was an unreliable conservative. So that gave him one issue, and that was the election. And David Perdue in the debate said, the election was stolen, that's how he opened up the one. And so this became a referendum on that, in my opinion, and it became a referendum on on Brian Kemp. And voters said, we trust him, we like him, And I think that the intensity of the election issue has dissipated to some degree.
1: One other issue I want to raise here is a year or so ago, uh, one of the biggest controversies in the country was the Georgia election law, which Democrats decried as Jim Crow 2.0. Another case of voter suppression, uh, a law cooked up by Republicans in response to Donald Trump's uh, claims of election fraud designed to restrict voting in America. The Major League Baseball boycotted, took its all-star game out of Atlanta. Last night, when the total numbers of votes came in, it looked like we had both record numbers of early voting and total vote totals, looks like about 1.9 million people voted.
2: Lower than uh, the 2020 primary.
1: Let's yeah, just but, out there. but but substantially but more year, substantially more than the 1.1 million who voted in the last midterm in 2018. Did Democrats overplay their hand in attacking the Georgia election law? Chris,
2: you go first. I um, think that. On both sides, some of the focus on, you know, election law changes has been pretty overheated. I think that my, my basic take is re- Republicans kind of do things that they don't need to do, that, that they shouldn't do. And Democrats overreact, often overreact to effects that don't really materialize. So both sides are kind of fighting this rhetorical battle that that a lot of research has shown doesn't kind of amount to much, you know, in the end. Look, you know, go back 20 years ago when they first, you know, proposed voter ID and you had a lot of counties in the state that there really wasn't a place to get an ID if you didn't have one. And then there were like a lot of lawsuits on that. And then that kind of over time got resolved and the net effect, you know, wasn't that much. The biggest election story in Georgia was honestly that, you know, somehow the automatic registration at the driver's license department got turned off for about a year and a half, which lowered the percentage of people that were registering when they got a driver's license from something like 80% to 30%. And that's been turned back on. You know, that's gonna have more of a potential effect than, you know, how many, how many ballot, you know, ballot drop boxes there are. We had already seen, you know, in 2021, like in the mayor's race that people were shifting, you know, a lot of people that had, had, that had done absentee by mail voting for the first time in 2020, because of the pandemic, were shifting back into early vote and, you know, election day vote. And we've just over the past 15 years, 20 years, ever since we've had early voting, we've just seen a slow and steady progression towards early voting. I personally don't know why, you know, if you told me that on Friday, there's five grocery stores open in my county, and then Tuesday, there's 200 and I could vote either day. I'm going to go the day that there's 200 open instead of five. So I'm an election day voter because there's never a line on election day. And you watch the news and you see people waiting in line 45 minutes to, to early vote. But that's just where the trend has been. I think it's to be determined, you know, the effect of, of the law. But yeah, you, you have to remember, too, that like for every change that Republicans make, you know, there's a lot of battling back administratively. You know, the, the headline is not usually the reality because you have groups like fair fight that states, Abrams started, you know, going to court and chipping away. And so the reality is this is probably not the law that was proposed is what's enacted because they do make a lot of, you know, changes as it winds its way through the administrative state. So, you know, I'd rather focus on, you know, as a Democrat, you know, I I think we have better issues to focus on than voting, you know, legal changes. That's not to say that I think Republicans are right to make those changes, kind of out of spite. But at the end of the day, it's it's a lot of talking to the base on both sides. And Brian a lot I, of I
1: sense you've got something to say on this subject.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get a little, I get a little hyped up about this
0: issue because I, I think the Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Eagle, as Biden called it, was reckless and dangerous and divisive because it's loaded with so much racial connotation. And that's just not what we need in a state that's majority minority today. And I think going back to what I was saying earlier about Abrams and worst state to live in, these things have gotta be believable. And the DOJ case against Georgia on this bill, on this law says that it was intended to keep black people from voting. Well, we have empirical data now showing that it hasn't, that black people are showing up just like they always have, there's no barrier that applies to them that doesn't apply to anyone else. And I encourage anyone, come anywhere in Georgia and ask the black Georgians who live here, hey, do you, do you have a voter ID? I mean, do you have a, a driver's license or a government-issued ID? And then, well, of course I do, you idiot. Everybody's, everybody's got that, right? I mean, it, it's just, it was dumb and, and offensive from the very beginning to say that, some people here don't have voter ID. We know statistically that's not true, that whites and blacks are very similar in, in having it. And it makes sense to use that for absentee ballots if you're already using it for in-person voting, which also didn't suppress votes. So the DOJ needs to drop this. Abrams, I hope she keeps talking about it because it's taking up air when there's much more pressing issues where the middle the middle, who sent Isop and Warnock to the U.S. Senate rejects what she is saying. And that's not a good place for her to be. It's also worth
2: pointing out that when Republicans put voter ID on election day voting back in 2004, they didn't put it on absentee balloting because that was the the votes that they used to clean up on. Absolutely true. I think if you look a little too close at some of that stuff, it's that there has been some malfeasance on you know both sides depending on who controls the election board whatever i'm not saying that there's you know i'm talking about i would about, say it's skullduggery in honor yeah, of the show right <laughs> so there, there's a shifting you know in this politics so it's what you expect whatever but they weren't so concerned about absentee ballot security when when they were racking up absentee ballot votes and you know so it's and my, my, unintended, my, <laughs> unintended of, uh, my unintended law of my unintended law of politics is be careful what you wish for i mean the republican coalition in georgia and certainly nationally is converting into a more less educated electorate and the Democratic coalition is converting into a more educated electorate. And so I just think when you put additional restrictions on those may end up applying to the white Trump surge voter in a way that they don't apply to the Roswell pro-choice, you know, never Trumper. So you got to be careful about what you do
1: okay to wrap up here guys just uh give us a game out uh the general on the three races we've been talking about kemp abrams uh warnock uh walker and uh raffensperger and whoever the democrat is going to be running against the
0: and i want to point out that i am not a blind partisan who always said my my team is going to win i think chris would back me up on this you know i said as soon as Purdue and Leffler called on Raffensperger to resign one week after the 2020 election. I called my parents and I said, uh, yeah, they're going to lose. Uh, we're not going to offer going to the U.S. Senate. They had I knew they had lost the middle. And I was one of the very few Republicans in 2020 saying Biden may win here. This is a 50 50 state. The numbers have been moving in a, in a you know, in a downwards uh, graph for the Republicans for 10 years. And I was right. So that said, Democrats, given that that trend line should win in 2022 in Georgia, demographically, partisan change, uh, momentum, etc. They're going to lose this time because the national environment is so toxic for Democrats and there's a backlash. Republicans are getting gains amongst Latinos and black men, not black women, but from black men. And it's making a difference. And I think a lot of those That's Roswell, never Trumpers that Chris just mentioned, who voted for Biden and Abrams, but voted for my old boss, Nathan Deal and Johnny Isaacson, a former Republican senator earlier in their lives. Those people are coming back home this year, at least. So Republicans have a bad decade to come. I mean, it's going to continue to get bad here, but they're going to win up and down the ballot in November. So Herschel
3: Walker beats uh, Raphael Warnock.
0: And, And he'll win by a smaller margin than Kent beats Abrams by. But yes.
2: You know, I, I like to, I think at the end of the day, things, things change and things don't really change in politics. So I look at 2014, which was probably the worst Republic, worst democratic year in a century. And the top of the ticket Democrats got 45%. And, you know, since then massive amount of, you know, white moderates in the suburbs have have trended our way and the state's also gotten less white. So, you know, 45, 53 is kind of the baseline for a bad year and things have gotten better. I think now that kind of worst case scenario baseline is 47 and that puts you in a position where it really matters, you know, what kind of campaigns, you know, people run. And so on, you know, both for Abrams and for, and for Warnock and forever and for whoever runs against, you know, Raffensberger, I think the campaign, I think the quality of the campaigns, you know, will matter. And I think that uh, Warnock, you know, this is, we're in this kind of unprecedented era where $300 million is going to be spent defining, you know, both people I think we just don't know. I mean, I, I feel like Warnock probably leads the, the ticket just because he's got the best opponent of the three, but I couldn't tell you today, whether that means he goes in with 52 or he goes in with 49 with a runoff or, or, or what I just, it's very up in the air.
1: All right. Well, uh, spoken like a uh, true political consultant who um, depends on convincing people (laughs) that they need to improve the quality of their campaigns. Very uh, smart analysis from both of you guys. I want to thank you. And uh, we will want to uh, stay in touch with um, both of you as this campaign unfolds.
2: Thank you all. Yeah. Thanks for having us.